love you this morning. For those um, who are listening online, uh, we're glad that you're tuning in as well. If you haven't been here for a bit, if you're visiting this morning, uh, we are in, in a second part of a series. It's sort of a series based on Advent. We, do, we haven't really traditionally done the uh, Advent. If maybe if you've grown up in a more traditional church, you'd, have the, you'd remember the four candles and the four words that it, uh, that it stands for. And I'm seeing some blank stares, which is good for me because I don't know exactly the order of which those words are supposed to go. And I'm pretty sure I messed that up. But um, last week we talked about the thrill of hope and the power that hope can bring in hopeless situations. And it's, it's incredible because even this week we've uh, experienced uh, uh, going through, through times with people from our church this week that it, it, the situation feels hopeless on the outside. And yet that strength of hope on the inside that is not just limited to here that this lifetime is not where our hope ends, but because of what Jesus did and because of eternity, hope is, is much stronger. And so this morning, um, we don't have time to cover all of that, but you can find that uh, online if you'd like to listen to it. Uh, today, I want to talk about the word peace, the word peace. And uh, when, when, I, when we mention the word peace, I, I just challenge you to think about what comes to your mind when you hear the word peace. Maybe it's some of the, the symbols of peace, like maybe if this is the one, you know, the Mercedes symbol with the extra leg, uh, or if it's um, maybe this, that you like the dove is more your thought of peace, or maybe it's like the, the peace sign, you know, hey, peace, bro, uh, or maybe for the Trekkie fans, you're like, I come in peace, right? Like, there's, there's different thoughts, or maybe for you, it's not a symbol at all. Maybe, maybe it's a word. You know, you think of other words that, that come to mind when you think of peace, like, you know, tranquility or a, a reconciliation or closeness or absence of conflict. So uh, last week I asked my kids about hope and I was pretty, uh, got some pretty interesting answers. So this, this week I, I thought I'd ask my boys about, you know, what does peace mean? And, but they were sitting there eating their lunch and I must have asked it in a way that, that they thought they were getting in trouble. I'm like, son, he's like, you know, boys, what do you think peace means? And Finn looks up at me with these eyes of like, uh... It means that you eat all your lunch, and I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. I rephrased the question. I'm like, if you, how would you, de- how would you describe peace? And uh, you know, Lincoln's like calm and and quiet, Dad. And Max is like, I know, it's like a piece of toast, and I'm like, or a piece of peace, right? And I'm like, okay, the lesson's not going the way I'd hoped, and so that's that's just it. But. What I realized is that as I, was, as, as I asked them about what their version of, of peace is, I began to realize that even as I studied this, that there's thoughts that I've had about peace that I realize there's way more to it than just all the things that I've thought of before. And so as we look at that today, I believe that for every person here, there may be something the Holy Spirit wants to do on the inside of your heart that draws out this word to a greater understanding, but a greater meaning, greater application in, in your life. So let's jump in this morning. Luke, uh, Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. He traveled around with Paul. He, uh, he was a details guy. He wanted to make sure that, that everything he wrote down was accurate. So it says that he went and talked to as many eyewitnesses as he could find. It wasn't just, you know, one eyewitness. He would talk to as many as he could find. And he wanted to write about the whole life of Jesus from start to finish so that if anybody were to read this document, they could believe in, in Jesus as a result, which is good news for us. And so if you've read the Christmas story, you know how Luke writes about how the angels came to this bunch of shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem one night, and they, they, they scare them uh, like crazy. They, they begin to say that the Messiah, the long-awaited, the long-hoped-for Messiah, has been born, and he's just nearby. And that one angel was scary enough, but as he finished his message, he was joined by a multitude more. You can follow along Luke chapter 2. 
Verse 13 and 14, it says this, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, and they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those, whom God is, uh, to those with whom God is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to men. Glory to God in the highest, tranquility, calm, in the absence of conflict to men. And so you hear that, that the, the, the Prince of Peace was coming to bring peace to the planet, But I ask you that question, is that something that we see on our planet? Do we see just calm, tranquility, the absence of conflict? Well, not really. You open the news and you see these two guys always trying to wreck that. You know, that's Trump versus Kim and they got their Twitter feeds out. And if there is any peace, it's always on the verge of, you know, potential World War III. You know, Kim calls Trump a dotard. And I'm like, well, what is that? You know, so anybody know? It's a, it's a weak, senile old man, you know? So if you're, having, if you're having a fight with grandpa or whatever, you got a new word. But he, he, this is like, you know, he, that's what he texts. And Trump, just being as clever as ever, just sends back, well, he's a sick puppy. I don't know what that means either. But these two, these two challenges of, of two um, powerful people uh, uh, with, with potential, potential war, potential conflict uh, always in, in place. We see that, but we see it there, but it's all over the world where there's conflict. Uh, over the past 3,550 years where they've been keeping records of history, we only know of 286 years in that time frame where there was peace between the nations of the planet. That's a tiny percentage of the time that we know of, and we just don't know if, if there was wars, and there pro- possibly were that just weren't recorded at that point. But it's not like that there's been peace on this planet uh, since, we've, since, since we've been keeping track of peace. But since we know that peace isn't happening around us, what about a more personal uh, application this morning? We live in a country that's not at war right now. So we have peace in our country, but do we have peace in our personal lives? Is there peace in your life right now? Would you think of calm, the words calm, tranquility, the absence of conflict when you think of your work? What about when you think of your marriage? What about your family? Some are laughing. Uh Uh-oh. Free marriage counseling after the service. What about about your life? Do you think of those words like, yeah, it's calm, it's tranquility. Is it like the person that Liz described earlier this morning, that peace just sort of emanates from them? And yeah, life life is good. It's just, ah, it's good. Or if you think about peace, you think, yeah, there's moments where I've experienced peace in those areas of my life. There's moments in my marriage. There's moments in my family. But uh, it seems um, short-lived. As I thought about that, I saw this video this week. I just want to show it to you because it, it kind of illustrates, you know, how that, post, that, that, that peace that we feel is, is in our lives, it's temporary. So just take a quick look at this. It's called the Stradivinsky something. It's peaceful. Please don't go to sleep. hear that scream that like ah! you know it's like that maybe you've had that moment where you've been just asleep and all of a sudden somebody wakes you up abruptly and it's like ah! right that shock maybe it's happened to you in church you know maybe it's happened somewhere and you're like oh it's that feeling though you know it. it's like everything was fine until bam it's not it's like you wake up it's it's uh, it's Maybe for you, you describe it in your family life. And I know we got parents of young children. I was thinking about this, and I remembered back in the day, you know when you have, like, toddlers, and you want them to take a nap, and they need to have a nap, but they don't want to? 
And so, you know, they're old enough to get out of their crib, so you, you hold them and you rock them. And, and you, you, they start breathing slower, and they finally get, put their head on your shoulder, and you're like, okay, they're almost there. And you walk to the room, and, it, and they just know. As soon as you move into that room, they're like awake again. You're like, okay, rock them and, and rub their back. And then they're almost asleep, and you lay them down carefully, and, and then they start stirring. And so you put the sussies around, and you rub their back, and you lay beside them as if you're going to stay there the whole time. And then when they're, they, they drift off to sleep, you're just like, quietly back up out the door, close it so carefully, hope the hinges don't squeak, click, good, sneak down the hall to whatever it is you want to do, read your book, play Nintendo or whatever it is, like, ah, oh, peace, ah, right? and, and you know, it's like, it's so short-lived in families, but maybe it's, maybe you say, you know, experience that in your marriage, it's like, yeah, we're good, as long as we don't talk about money, you know, or, yeah, the wife and I are fine. As long as she doesn't bring up her mom, we're good. You know, it's like there's these moments of peace, and it feels like your marriage, you describe it like I'm standing in a minefield, and as long as I stand, we're good. But I take one step in the wrong direction, and boom, peace is gone. It sounds humorous, but there's tons of people who that is their living reality in their marriage, that peace is so temporary. For work, I know of some, they've shared with me, you know, at work, it's like as long as... You know, things were fine until they found out that you, didn't, that you, that you were a, a Christian, a Jesus follower, and you didn't want to talk like they talk. You know, you didn't, they, they got their own language of fluent, they speak fluent factory, and you're like, well, I don't want to use, I'll use five-letter words and above, right? And, and then they look at you like, what's wrong with you? And then they're sending out the cell phone with the dirty pictures at lunch, and you're like, no thanks. And then they're like, what's wrong with you? And they begin to make your life miserable. And there was peace at work until... Then And then maybe you have, maybe you're the, the, the woman at work where you just, the, the, the other women are just spreading rumors about you. Or maybe it's at school. At school, like everything was fine, but now you know they're talking about you and you can see it and you're just like, oh, and there's no peace in here. Maybe for you it's financial. You know, you're one Christmas present purchase away from not being able to pay your rent. And you're like, what do I do? If I don't buy them a gift, but if I don't pay my rent. The reality is that people really struggle with those kind of things, not, not having this peace on the inside. And so it doesn't always feel like there's peace on earth. The angel spoke of peace. Jesus spoke of peace a lot. The authors of the Old Testament spoke of peace. The New Testament writers also spoke of this word peace a ton. It's mentioned 392 times in the Bible. And we're going to go through each of those verses today. So buckle up. All right. So but we aren't. But it's important. It's in there a lot. It keeps coming through because we were designed to live with peace happening uh, here in our lives and to, be, uh, to, to understand this word called peace. And I thought, how can I explain this? How can I explain all of that in such a short time? And I found that that's probably not uh, something that I'm going to be really uh, qualified to do. And yet I found a, a video, something that we've been challenging people in our church to look at. It's, the, it's called the Bible Project. And they take complex topics and put them into simple videos. I'll give you a chance to watch one now. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. 
Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. Wow. I know you think I talk fast. That is a lot of information all at once. I had to watch that video like four times before I started finally understanding it. We're not going to do that, but you can do that at home. You can check it out, thebibleproject.com. But talks about peace in a whole different meanings, this idea of completeness and wholeness and harmony, and that when there's peace and harmony, it brings prosperity. And this morning, I want to talk just in the, as, uh, in the last few minutes that we have of the three areas of peace or three levels of peace, and, and uh, pretty simple to, to remember, but you can jot them down. And I believe that there's something for every single one of us, either in our own lives in this area or that it affects the lives of those around us. And here's the three. Number one, peace with you, that you would have inner peace. Think of it like inner peace brings thoughts to mind sometimes. You know, people are trying to find ways to inner peace. You can just Google 10 fastest ways to inner peace, and they'll give you some suggestions like meditation. It's the only good picture I could find of that. But, uh, you know, love, love yourself. Accept yourself. Be in the moment as opposed to, I don't know, you know, or feel your feelings uh, or saying all is well. 
but without things actually having any kind of hope, it doesn't really lead to true uh, inner peace. And the interesting thing is that Jesus told his disciples that you were designed for inner peace, to have peace on the inside, and that that was a gift that he came to bring. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus is having a conversation with his followers, and he's, he's about to leave, and he has this lengthy last, last chance to chat with them. And he says this, I'm leaving you with a gift. And they're like, you're leaving? Where, where, are you, where are you going? He's like, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with a gift. He says, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world can't give. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find that, that inner peace just by, you know, whatever, whatever anyone else tries to, to sell you or tell you. It's this thought of, it's, it's a gift that he's giving so don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm leaving, but you're good. I'm going to give you my peace. John chapter 16, the same conversation. It's just a couple of chapters later. He says this, I've told you all of this. I've told you all about how I'm leaving, how I'm going to die. I, I told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. That it's in Christ where you find this peace. He says, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. He's not promising great times ahead that's just going to be all you know, rainbows and, and unicorns. It's going to be difficult. But in it, he says, there will be peace. He says, because I've overcome the world. And he says, my peace I'm giving to you. It's a gift that you can have uh, in spite of the troubles that are around you. Uh, in 1988, there was a guy named Barrett Kios. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He wrote a book called The Wardrobe from a King. And it was based on the, the armor of God in Ephesians, saying this is the kind of, this is the kind of um, clothing that, that, the, that the king would give to you. And so as in his book, he, he tells a story. He tells a story of a man who was, who was wanting to have the perfect picture of peace to show others. And so he, he came up with this challenge and he said to all the artists around, I want you to paint a picture of what you think the best definition of peace looks like. Enter it in the contest and we're going to judge and there will be a winner. And so people were encouraged and, and inspired. And so all over this country, they began to, to paint and send in their paintings. And on the day of the judging, they put all the paintings in a row and they had them all covered with black cloth. And as the judges, including this person who had, who had uh, set up the contest, he began to lift the covers on these pictures and these paintings. And people were just amazed at these beautiful scenes of serenity. And he comes to the final two paintings and he lifts the, he lifts the black cloth off of the, the second last one. And he sees, you know, as the crowd looks, they just gasp. It's amazing. It's this, it's this mirror smooth lake. It's surrounded by lacy green birches. There's a soft blush of the evening sky reflecting on the lake. There's a long grassy shore and there's a flock of sheep that are grazing undisturbed. And they just look and they're like, surely this one had to be the winner. What beats this one? And so finally, after that, they lifted the last black cloth and the picture that was there uh, it was, was this, uh, a picture similar to this. This is a painting by Jack Dawson inspired by this story. This was the picture that they, that they saw. It was a tumultuous waterfall cascading down the rocky precipice. The crowd could almost, almost instantly feel the cold penetrating spray, the stormy gray clouds in the background threatening to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. But it's in the midst of all the thundering noise, the bitter chill, the spin, a spindly tree clings to the, to the rock at the edge of the falls. And one of the branches reaches out in front of that torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. And if we zoom in, we see that there's a little bird nestled right there in the cleft of that rock with its nest there, content and undisturbed in the stormy surroundings. She's resting on her eggs with her eyes closed, her wings ready to cover her little ones. She manifests peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. And they were shocked to think that this would be what the picture of peace would actually 
be. But it's what Jesus said. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and says, Now may the Lord of peace himself, the God of peace, may he give you peace. When? At all times. And in every situation. And the Lord be with you all. All times. All situations. That you would, that you would be able to experience the gift of peace. Not because the surroundings are great. Because they're not. But that you would have peace right here. Colossians chapter 3 Paul writes to them and says, let the peace that, that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And uh, for as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let it rule in your hearts. Because every, there's lots of stuff that's trying to rule in your heart, including you. There's the, the I'm going to trust me to, to be able to figure and work everything out so that I can be at peace. But I don't know, if you've tried that for a while, you realize we don't determine outcomes. We don't have that ability to say, I'm going to make this this hospital visit go the way I want. I'm going to make those doctor's reports sound the way I want them to. I'm going to make my, my kids live the way I want them to. It might work for a while, but we realize in the end, we don't have that kind of control. And when we realize that, 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 that heart uh, wants to, it, it can be sick, it can be challenged. And we, he's saying, let that kind of peace, the gift of peace, let it reign. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, he says this to them, Paul, again, writing, says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Talk to God about everything that's going on. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you'll experience God's peace. When you stop worrying about the world around you and just say, God, it's you and me. This is what's going on, and here it is. I'm putting it in your hands. It says, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Have you ever seen those people that are going through like really difficult times and yet they just seem like serene? It's like you know everything's going wrong outside, but here they just seem to be at peace. It says his peace will guard your hearts and will guard your minds. That gift of peace will carry you through as you live in Christ Jesus. We've been designed to live with inner peace. It's what we've been designed for. It's why everyone's looking for it, but Jesus is the answer for it. Second thought is this, peace with others. Not just peace with you, but peace with others. And this is the kind of peace that takes work and humility. And for some, this may be what you need to hear this morning. This peace, this arene, is not just the avoidance of conflict. It's not just that as long as we don't see each other, everything is fine. You know, the other day I was sitting, uh, we were chatting, Beth and I, and so this name came up and, uh, as we were talking. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, something on the inside was just like, I don't know what that was, but it was ugly. And it's like, man, I'm so irritated and frustrated by this person, and I haven't seen them in a long time. And I don't know, there was just this like, ugh. And, and, and don't worry, it's none of you guys as a Saturday night person. Um, but <laughs> I told them it was one of you, just for the record. But, but, you know, you have that feeling like, what is that? What is that inside of me? But I, I thought, you know, as long as we don't see each other, we're all good. And then I'm challenged by this, that arena is not that. It is that command to pursue peace. We've been commanded to pursue peace. This completeness, this wholeness, this working for one another. Second Timothy, Paul writes to him in 2 Timothy 2.22. I don't have a chance to put it up here this morning. But he says, pursue, with the all, pursue peace, this arena with all the brothers and sisters. So all the people of Kingsway... You're like, well, that's why I sit on the left side because that person's so annoying. He's like, pursue peace with those, with those people. And then in, the writer of Hebrews amps it up one more and says, pursue peace with all men. So wherever possible, pursue peace with all men. Uh, Duke University did a study on peace of mind. That, uh, that, what does it take to have peace of mind? And what they realized out of all the eight things that, they, uh, that they, they found that contributed to peace of mind. The first one on the list was this, the absence of suspicion or resentment, that holding a grudge was the major factor 
a major factor of unhappiness and a loss of uh, peace of mind. And what does it tell us? It tells us what Jesus told us. It tells us what the writers of, of the Gospels told us eons ago, is that when we're not at peace with one another, we're not at peace inside. If you're married, you know it. If she ain't happy, you ain't happy, right? If it's not going good between you and your wife, it's not good. You're not good. If things aren't good at work, it's like it, you feel it on the inside. You're, just, it's, you're not good inside. Peace with others often requires this word called forgiveness. This powerful word called forgiveness. Uh, I want to share a story with you. I, I, met, a, uh, I met with a man a month ago. Um, he's from our church. Uh, he was being admitted to the hospital at, on that day. And he had called and things were not, not good for him. He was not feeling well at all. So he called and he, he wanted to talk, and he says, you know, he, he had no sense of peace on the inside. He's like, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 12, but he says, you know what? I don't know. He says, I, there's, there's something missing inside of me. He said, I'm following Ronnie and Tracy's story online as they're traveling this journey with their daughter who has cancer. And as they're going through this, this journey, he's like, they have something that I don't have. What am I missing? And as I began to talk to him, I was able to, to share with him uh, what the gospel really is. And, and as he, he laid there, uh, we prayed together. And then we began to talk some more. And this word of forgiveness came up. And so I ch- challenged him and talked to him about that. I said, There's, you know, are there people in your life that you, that you haven't forgiven? Are there people in your life that you've wronged and need to forgive and he shared with me, yeah, that there was many that has spent most of his life just bitter, in the last 10 years especially, just bitter and angry at the people who had wronged him. He had no sense of peace. And so we prayed about that. And as I left that room, I just wondered, I just wondered, would he be able to? Because for the offended person, the one who's been wronged, to have peace, for them to have peace, they have to forgive. They have to let the person off the hook. Whether that other person apologizes or not, And I wondered, would he be able to let the people who'd hurt him, would he be able to let them off the hook? Would he give them the freedom that they didn't have to pay it back and they didn't have to make it up to him anymore? For the offender, for the offended person to have peace, they have to forgive. For the offender to live in peace, they have to seek reconciliation. They've got to take that step to say, hey, listen, I'm sorry for what I've done. You know, in the 12-step programs, if, if, if you've been familiar with that, step nine is this. Make amends to those who have harmed you whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And I wondered, would he reach out to the people that he had hurt? And I thought, I don't know. I'm not sure. But as I came back a couple of weeks later, I saw him again. He was a different man. Physically, his body was deteriorating. He had uh, aggressive cancer in his body. But emotionally, he was the best that I'd ever seen him. You know, he shared how he had chosen to forgive. He told me about how he had, had reached out to his ex-wife and to his daughters, and, and he had, he had uh, put, put out this thought of trying to make things right. And uh, he said, I've forgiven those who've wronged me. And every time the resentment comes up on the inside, because it does, he says, I just say, no, I've let them go. I forgive them. And I had to say to him as I saw him, you know what, you look like the worst, you know, the condition, but I've, I've, I said, spiritually, you're like, you, you look like the best that I've ever seen you. And he smiled, and we prayed together, and I went home. I saw him this Monday, and as I went into the room this week, I was inspired by this man that was there. The chemo wasn't working, uh, and so now he's had to make the choice whether he's going to go for round two or if he's going to choose palliative care. Since that time, he has decided that he's not going to go through the rounds of chemo anymore. But as I went there on Monday, he said, you know what? He told me how he was sharing his faith with his family members, 
how the nurses, he would begin to tell them that he's doing more in his last month for the gospel than that he had ever done in his life. And he says, I want to be remembered for what I did in this month. I want to be remembered for this, these moments. And I said, can I pray with you? He's like, can I pray with you? I'm like, okay. And so he prays with me, and I was just so inspired and so encouraged and challenged by this man. And then he said these two things. He said, Mark, if I could stand in front of a church and just tell them what it feels like to be on the other side of forgiving others and to tell them it's not worth holding on to anything because in this moment it doesn't matter. And yet the feeling of forgiveness and being forgiven and just to let it all go. He says, if I could just stand and describe, but he says, I don't know that I can. And I asked him, would you let me? And he said, yes, you can. Please continue to tell this story so that people understand how powerful forgiveness is. And then he said this. I'm ready to go see Jesus. I'm ready to see Jesus. And you know what it reveals to me and reveals to us is that peace with here, inner peace, and peace with others usually starts right here. This last thing called peace with God. And I know we're going a little bit over, but it's worth it this morning. The real reason that Jesus came is that you and I could have peace with God, wholeness, completeness, that arena with God. And, you know, as I talk to people, I realize that many aren't sure if they have peace with God at all. You know, if today was the last day of your time on this planet and you had to meet your maker, would you say right now, yes, I have peace with God? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm ready to meet God. For some, instantly your minds rush to this thought of, I, man, I hope I've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things. I hope that I've done enough to, to, to make sure that God's not angry at me anymore. But can I tell you something? That peace with God is the same as peace with others. That the offended person has to offer forgiveness. And I'm so glad that God is good, and that's exactly what he's done for us. That we've sinned against him. He's the one who's been wronged by us, not the other way around. So many people think, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? As if he's wronging us. We're the ones who've wronged him. We're the ones who went against everything that, that he said was good for us. And we found out it wasn't good. And yet he says, I offer forgiveness. Not that we could earn it. Not that we could deserve it. But he said, that peace I give you, that forgiveness, it's a gift. And Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sins. For my sin. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said it this way. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for my sin. So that we could be made right with God. That we could be at peace with God through Christ. God did everything necessary for us to have the opportunity to be in right relationship with him. He died to forgive the sins of the whole world. But does that mean that everyone has peace with God? No. We talked about this in our starting point group. If Jesus died to forgive all the sins, then isn't just everybody forgiven? No. Because in the same way that forgiveness works, that the, the offended person has to offer forgiveness, the offender has to seek reconciliation. And it's the same with this. John chapter 3. I know you've heard this verse tons of times. Please listen to it again. Allow it to touch your heart. For this is how God loves the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus is describing this to a man named Nicodemus. And earlier, John writes these words. It says, Jesus came to his own people. He came to the nation of Israel. And even they rejected him. Verse 12, but to all who what? Believed him and accepted him. Those who believe that, yes, God, I believe that you did that for me and received that. There's two things. 
He's not forcing it on anyone. He's not forcing that you guys would have, that, that you'd be at peace with God, but there's an inner sense of us needing it. He says he gave the right to them to be called the children of God. God died to pay, Christ died to pay for the sins of the whole world, but it's those who believe in and receive him that find forgiveness and find peace with God. It takes on our part as the sinner to say, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that yeah, God, we're, we're not at peace. This morning, if you had answered that question, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm at peace with God, this is the, this is the process for, for you this morning. To say, God, I acknowledge that. We're, we're not at peace. But I do believe that you did everything necessary, that you sent Jesus to create that way, that you're offering forgiveness. I believe because that's what I'm hearing this morning. So God, I take a step in your direction and ask ask that you would give me that forgiveness, that, that you would help me to turn from my old way of living, my old way of thinking, and instead to live in peace with you and in peace with others. If, you, if that's you this morning, it takes as simple as that prayer from your heart to him and allowing your life to be changed as a result. As we close, God desires the world to be at peace with him. God desires you to be at peace with him. But one more thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, he desires you to spread that peace to the world around you. As Liz described somebody in a store, it's what it looks like, that's what it feels like. But he said to the other ones, he said, go out and preach the gospel. The good news of peace is how it's described in Ephesians. That good news that people can have peace with God. We never know how much time we have. The gentleman we lost this week was 42 years old. 42. But two weeks ago, finds peace with God. Thank you. Thank you. Because that's what we were called to do. There's the last thought. There's a hymn called Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. Maybe you're familiar with it. It was played at Princess Diana's funeral. Recently, it was sung by Susan Boyle, seen millions of times on YouTube. It was actually written over a period of a few hundred years, inspired by a man named Francis of Assisi, And I want to leave you with the words from it today that as a result of what Christ has done for us, for me, for you, that we would take that and as a result, there really would be more peace on earth. Let me leave with these words. Said this, Lord, make me an instrument or make me a channel of your peace, your kind of peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Not where there is hatred, let me avoid that. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, Let me bring pardon and forgiveness. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console others. Not to be understood, but to understand others. Not to be loved, but to love. For it's in giving that one receives. It's in self-forgetting that one finds. It's in pardoning that one is pardoned. And it's in dying that one is raised to eternal life. My prayer for us this year at Kingsway is that people around us who need hope, who need peace, who need love, will find it here because of you. Would you go out this week shining that? Would you embrace that for yourself if it's you who needs that this morning? Through Jesus, that peace is a peace that doesn't make sense to the world, but they're craving it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us what you 
your incredible thoughts about us, your incredible love for us, even when we've messed things up, that that love hasn't changed. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you for the joy, the hope, the peace that you bring. The enemy tries to steal that in our lives, help us to, again, reach out to you and be reminded of that place, that no matter what's going on around us, we can have peace in you. And above all, Lord, as we go out this week with you and for you, would you cause us to shine? Would you cause others to see and sense that incredible peace in us? Would you give us the words to share with them the good news that they too can have peace with you? Thank you for the stories that we've heard today of lives that have been really, really changed as a result. Love you. We thank you for that. It's in your amazing name I pray. Amen.